Hey, it's Amber. If you need a quick pick-me-up while on your break at work or to start your day or while your kids are napping, tune into Grace Talks. You'll hear pastors talking about relevant issues like fear, anxiety, and grief. They're short but powerful messages. Find Grace Talks wherever you listen to podcasts. So recently, a friend of mine called. He's a Christian friend, and he just likes to ask, what's on my heart lately? As I study the Bible in my faith journey, what's God impressing on my heart? Or what am I learning? Um, What am I finding in the Word as I dig through it? And I mentioned to him that my heart right now is really asking, do I love God? And how much do I love God? And could I love God the way some of the people in the Bible have loved God. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. So we had a nice conversation about it and um, really kind of sorted it out and, and what I was thinking about. And just a few weeks later, Phil Wickham released his song called Falling in Love. It is exactly where I've been. And so it was just uh, so fitting and so timely for me. As the song progresses, it's just a reminder of how much God has done for us and how we barely scratch the surface of love until we really start digging into God's love for us, what he did for us, what Jesus was willing to do for us, and the love that he has for us, and how we, in response, can't help but love him back and grow in that love. So let me just ask you, what would it take for you to really fall in love with God. Just look around. I don't know what room you're in. If you're in your house, I don't know if you're in a coffee shop or if you're exercising at a treadmill at the gym or if you're in your car, wherever you are, I want you to just stop and look around. What has God given you? Okay, so if you're listening to me, my guess is that you're a Christian. You have your faith. If you're in your house or your apartment, you have a roof over your head, my guess is that you have more blessings than you need. Far, far more blessings than you need. If you're in your car, wow, you can afford to drive a car. That's crazy. You can get from A to B safely, temperature controlled, um, you know, quickly and efficiently. That's amazing. Look at your job. Look at your church family. Look at all the ways that God has rescued you in the last week. What issues have come up that have left you sort of scratching your head and going, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. And within a day or two, or maybe a week, God is showing you a way. All throughout the Old Testament, God likes to remind his people of the Red Sea. Because it was a pretty huge moment for the Israelites. So God had brought them out of Egypt. And 
they came to a point that the Red Sea was in front of them and Pharaoh and his army had decided they didn't actually want the Israelites to leave. So they were pursuing them and they were coming up from behind. So they had a sea in front, an army behind, and they were trapped, completely and totally helpless. And what did God do? He parted the sea and led them through dry ground and then let the waters go back and wiped out the army that was chasing them. Now that was pretty spectacular. And that was enough that God expected it would propel the Israelites through whatever other obstacles that they had. So if God parted a sea to get them safely across, surely he could provide them with water. And surely he would keep other people from attacking them. And surely they wouldn't have to worry about their sandals wearing out because God was watching over them and he was taking care of them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see other people making sure to have monuments to God's faithfulness. When Jacob left home, he had tricked his father into getting the blessing Esau was not thrilled about it. Esau said, I have every intention of killing my brother. And so Rebecca said, Jacob, you better go. So Jacob took off and he was going to his mom's house in a household, which was quite a ways away. He didn't have a lot with him. And he went to sleep with a rock for a pillow and God appeared to him in a vision. And he saw angels ascending and descending into heaven And God gave him a promise. God said, I'm going to give you this land. All people are going to be blessed through you. I am with you, and I'm going to bring you back here. And when Jacob got up, he took the stone that he was using for a pillow. He poured oil on it, and he said, this place will be called Bethel, because surely the Lord is in this place. Now imagine for just a second what that meant to Jacob. He was running for for his life. He was running away from everything that he knew. All he knew was his mom, his dad, his brother, and that area. He was going to a strange land. He had nothing to his name. He didn't know what he was going to find when he got there. He didn't know if he'd get a nice welcome or if they were going to hate him. He didn't know. And God appeared to him and gave him these awesome promises. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. I'll bring you back. I'm going to take care of you. This land, this land will be yours someday. Don't worry about it. So Jacob set set up a monument because he wanted to remember God's faithfulness. Do you remember when the Israelites crossed the Jordan? After they had left Egypt and they had their 40 years in the desert wandering around, they went to cross the Jordan River which again, God parted miraculously so that they could cross over on dry ground. And as they did, each tribe brought forth one rock, one stone, one large stone to put and to make a monument to what God was doing as he was taking them across to this promised land that they had waited for for so long. They were going into this land And they were standing on the promises that God was giving them that he'd be with them and he was going to give them the land, even though they hadn't conquered one bit of it on the other side of the Jordan yet. 
they set up a monument. Here we go. We're starting, and God is with us, and he's separated the Jordan River. He's going to carry us through. Later in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, Samuel has a moment where the Israelites have just defeated the Philistines. And he goes and gets a rock, and he calls it Ebenezer. And he says, thus far has the Lord helped us. As in, we are going to stop right now. And we are going to build a monument. We are going to put up this stone. We are going to call it Ebenezer. And when we pass by this, we're going to remember that God was with us and he helped us and he defeated the Philistines this day. And that is going to motivate us to keep going when we want to stop. What monuments to God's faithfulness do you have? And if right now you're down in the dumps and things are not going well and you're saying, you know, I don't have any. I am just going to encourage you to open your eyes because I guarantee you God has carried you in a million ways up until this point. Just the fact that you are alive is a gift from God. And a lot of times we overlook the most mundane things. Like I said, if you have a place to sleep, if you have food to eat, if you have Christian friends, if you have a Bible to your name, that is amazing. How has God rescued you in, in the past? The times when you weren't sure if you were going to be able to pay the bills, and then someone called you up and asked if you wanted to work, help them out for a while, and they would pay you such and such amount of money, or the gift just showed up. Or what about the times when you weren't feeling well, and there was a knock on the door? I remember when I was pregnant with my fourth, I had pneumonia, and I was trick-or-treating, of all things, with my kids, and I met a neighbor, and we were walking around together as our kids were going to the, the houses, and I was telling her the predicament I was in, and the next day, I had a knock on my door, and there she was, this neighbor I did not know, and I'm not joking, I had met her just then. I didn't know her, and she was uh, she had a pot of soup. And a few days later, she knocked on the door again. And I just think how God showed this neighbor to me and had us talk. And then there we were, and she was supplying me with things. It's just unbelievable. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. God made sure to write down all these incidents in the Bible so that we could find hope in what Jacob experienced, in what the people of Israel experienced, in what Samuel experienced. In all these things, God is saying, I was there. I made a way where there was no way. I was with them in their darkest days, in their weakest moments. When they didn't know how it was going to turn out, I was there. And I carried them through. And why? Because God wants us to be sure that we understand he is there for us too. And he is going to carry us through. And we might not be able to see how we're going to get through our darkest days. But he's in it with us. Jesus said, do not worry. I love to worry. Worry is sometimes my middle name. And I think this is something that women do very, very well. We are very prone to worrying and being anxious about things. 
But God tells us in his word not to worry. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Well, Jesus said God cares for the flowers. God makes sure that the birds are fed. Why would he care less for us? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. We're just being silly. We don't need to worry. God's love for us is rock solid. It doesn't waver. It doesn't run dry. He doesn't say, oh, I've had enough of you. I'm just going to put you on the shelf for a while. I'm not going to pay attention to you. God's love is rock solid. The question here is, do we love God? And do we love God more? More than what? More than all the stuff that we like to put our security in. We like to think, oh, if I have a roof over my head, then I'm, I'm doing okay. Really? Really? Do you know how weak our houses really are? Have you ever seen a hurricane or a tornado or um, a mudslide or a wildfire and it goes through and what's left? Sticks. Nothing. Sometimes there's nothing left but ashes, debris. Why would we put our security in wood? You know, we think, well, I've got a good job. That'll see me through. Really? That can change in an instant. Your family, your health, any of that. Any of that. If we love that, if that's where we put our time and our energy, and if we feel secure because we've got those things, that's slippery sand. We have no guarantees that will even last till tomorrow. Abraham waited for the son that God promised him to have, and he and Sarah manipulated their way to getting a son that wasn't the promised child, that it turned out to be just a terrible experience, and They struggled through it. But finally, 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 they had this baby Isaac. And God said to Abram, Abraham at this point, after Isaac was about 13 years old, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. What would you have done? Because... I'm not sure I would have been as obedient as Abraham. I probably would have started with arguing with God. As in, um, I think I misheard you because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't want me to sacrifice the son that you promised me that I waited for, that I now have, that I'm watching grow up. You wouldn't want that, right, God? I mean, I, I think I misheard this. I may have delayed it thinking if I wait long enough God will say, oh, never mind. It's okay. Not Abraham. He got up the next day and he headed for Mount Moriah to do that sacrifice. Do you love God enough to put him first above your children? I I know what a mother's love is. Do you love God more than your children, than your spouse? than your cozy lifestyle? What if God asked you to give up anything, your house, your your place in life? What if he called you to move across the country to serve him at a church or, or to serve him in a different job where you would be able to serve him in mighty ways? 
Could you give up your income? Could you give up familiarity? Could you quit your job to take care of elderly parents? Or because you felt that God was leading you to foster children? Could you? Because I don't know. I don't know if I would be that brave. And sometimes I don't know if my love is strong enough to compare to Abraham's. Because Abraham got up and he went and he did what God said. And he was about to kill his son when God said, don't do it, Abraham. Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me more. Ah, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? If Jesus asked us that, would he know from our lifestyle what the answer is? Do we spend time with him? Are we eager every day to get into his word, to sit at Jesus' feet, to open up the Bible? Do we do that eagerly? Or is it one more thing to do to check off our list? Or do we do it at all? Are we eager to go to church or spend time with Christians? Do we honor him with what we watch, what we listen to? How's your prayer life? Do you faithfully go to God day after day? Not just to ask him for stuff, but to say, God, how can I serve you better? How can I grow to love you more? How can I do your bidding? How can I bless your people? (laughs) What do our words say about our love for God? Do we bring glory to God or do we mostly complain and stir up trouble and gossip or curse and live like the rest of the world? I have to say that I fall short often. And right now I just want to talk to those of you who might think, Amber, I love God. I love God with all my heart, but I don't think he really wants my love. I don't think that I'm the kind of person that he's waiting for my love. Well, I want to remind you of the woman who was brave enough to go into the Pharisee's house. Jesus was there in this woman who is described as a sinner, wet Jesus' feet with her tears and anointed them with ointment. And the Pharisee thought it was ludicrous that Jesus allowed her to even touch him because she was that kind of person. But Jesus helped this Pharisee named Simon to understand with a story of two men who owed debts to a moneylender. One owed a whole bunch and the other just a little. And the moneylender canceled both debts. And Jesus asked Simon, now which of them do you think would love him more? And Simon the Pharisee, well, he was able to guess correctly. Well, I suppose the one who had the greater debt. And Jesus said, you didn't give me water for my feet when I came in. You didn't kiss me. But she has not quit wetting my feet with her, her tears and kissing my feet. You didn't anoint me, but she continues to. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why did she love Jesus? Because she understood that he was her Savior. She understood that he was the reason she could go to God and have a relationship with God. And yeah, she had sinned a lot, but Jesus wasn't pushing her away. The Pharisee, oh, he was struggling to not push her away. He was looking down at her. He had had just about enough. He couldn't imagine that Jesus would let this dirty, filthy woman anywhere near him. And maybe, just maybe, the way we love Jesus more is having an awareness of our own depravity, of understanding just how far from perfection we fall, and knowing that we could do absolutely nothing to fix this situation. So even if you're a church-going Christian, even if you read your Bible, even if you think, hmm, sanctification-wise, you're doing okay, God sees it all. He knows us. He knows how often we fall. He knows those complaints going through our mind. He knows the grumbling we do under our breath. He knows how we really feel about people. That person at church who says, oh, by the way, could you do this? And you think, well, why don't you do that? Is it seriously mine to do? Why don't you ask somebody else? God sees it. God sees our self-righteousness. He sees that we don't think other people are worthy of the gospel. Those people that we haven't shared the gospel with. He sees our pride, our arrogance. He sees it all. And he loves us. And as we understand how far we are from the perfection that God requires that would earn our way to heaven, well, we can't help but fall in love. And I think, honestly, that's why so many elderly people at the end of their life, they sing songs like Jesus loves me with gusto. Because they realize at this point, they can't do a whole lot. They're not out there doing good works anymore. There's very little they can do and they recognize that Jesus loves them and died for them. And because of that, they love him so much. They know that soon they'll be with him and they look forward to it. I hope that your love isn't running dry. I know the busier that we get, the more consumed we are with our material stuff and our families and busyness, it's easy to put God off to the side. 
But that's the last thing you want to do. Because God's love is so crazy amazing. You don't want to miss this. You want to recognize who he is, what he's done, what he continues to do, and how worthy of your love he is. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. If you're a faithful listener, would you rate and review Little Things? They're so much vying for time and attention, and reviews and ratings really do make a difference as to what people see. Let me thank you in advance. And don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a suggestion, I am so happy to hear from you. Thanks for being here.